everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and whoo boy, it's been quite a time for me lately. I certainly hope that you've been doing well. Myself, I tell you, I've been burning the candle at both ends and in the middle, and turns out, that's not a candle. That's my garage. Oh, shit. That was a metaphor. I haven't really burned my garage down, I don't think, but I'm actually not that certain about that. I've been working a ton lately and been kind of sleep deprived and, well, sleep deprivation makes for a heady cocktail and I've been kind of loopy on it. The other night, I was closing down work around midnight, started playing a fun little game with myself where I would sing DMX lyrics in the style of the talking DNA from Jurassic Park. That was pretty fun. I would highly recommend it. I'll give you a little flavor of that. X gon' give it to ya. Fuck waiting for you to do it on your own. X gon' deliver it to ya. Knock, knock. Open up the door. It's real. With a non-stop pop-pop of stainless steel. Go hard getting busy with it, but I got such a good heart, make those motherfuckers wonder if he did it. Darn right, and I'd do it again. Cause I am right, so I got to win. So, I think that's just my new podcast, is me doing that for a couple hours. Um, yeah. Anyway, I think that provides you a fun little window into my headspace. So, bon appetit. Uh, cause I guess you eat windows into headspaces. Anyway, without any further ado, let's do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed. Dante's Inferno describes rings of hell, torments and tortures and things not so swell. Limbo and sticks and the city of Dis, Virgil-like hub gave us a synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Brad. New Teen Titans, number 18. April, 1982. A pretty girl is like a malady. Written by Marv Wolfman, drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire. Kid Flash. Cyborg. Wonder Girl, Beast Boy, Robin, Raven. Somewhere in the depths of the bureaucracy of Soviet-era Russia, a low-level government official named Marek Slavik receives some bad news. Is it the fact that he's a Russian character whose name is essentially Mark Russian? Is it the fact that we have never seen him before and he has been given a first and last name and is therefore unlikely to survive the issue? No, sadly, his news is even more tragic. His son, Tomas, was killed in El Salvador by an American. This is not the first time the Slavic family has been traumatized by the actions of a U.S. citizen. It turns out that Americans were also responsible for the deaths of Merrick's brother and wife. Driven mad by grief, Merrick decided to set a horrific plan into action, one that will have devastating consequences. Four days later, we are introduced to Merrick Slavic's secretary. Oh dear. Oh dear. Not only do we learn that she is engaged to be married... Not only does she get a first and last name, but that name is Malady Malanova. Yup. Her name, which is not a name, is basically illness real bad. Things will probably turn out fine for her, right? Merrick sent Malady down to a seldom used storage room to fetch some papers. As she retrieves them, she walks under a weird sciency device that her grief-stricken boss has rigged up as an overhead lamp. It's probably just one of those seasonal affected disorder therapeutic lights, right? Right? When she delivers the papers to Slavic, he tells her that he is sending her to New York to deliver some papers to an operative there. Malady expresses concerns and reminds him that she is getting married in a month. Jeez, Malady, why not just tell us that you're two days away from retirement and have put a down payment on that house with a nice white picket fence? <sighs> she asks if she will be back in time for the wedding, and Merrick tells her that she will not have to worry. Oh, good. Then I guess everything's going to be just fine after all. That's a relief. Then he finishes the sentence with the thought bubble, Sadly, not ever again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. A week later, back in New York, Robin and Wonder Girl meet with their FBI liaison, which I guess is a thing that they have, the chain-smoking, wisecracking King Faraday. Hooray! Okay, I guess it's kind of hypocritical seeing as how much shit I just gave Wolfman for making up implausible names, but I fucking love King Faraday. 
The monarch-monikered Mr. Faraday informs his teen counterparts that their old pal Starfire's back in town. Well, duh, I mean, she's Donna's roommate. Wait, does that mean the FBI is unable to penetrate Coriander's ingenious disguise of sunglasses? And Donna's ingenious disguise of not even bothering to wear sunglasses but insisting that nobody call her by her first name while in costume? Not necessarily. Turns out that the Starfire Faraday is referring to is the original Starfire, the Russian one we saw back in the original Teen Titans number 18 back in 1968. The Russian Starfire was a teenager named Leonid Kovar, who got the generic superpowers of enhanced strength and speed when he randomly pushed a bunch of buttons in a crashed UFO he found in Siberia. Kovar and the Titans reluctantly had teamed up to fight a jewel thief in Stockholm, and after a rocky start, learned to respect and trust one another. Ah, Well, now the FBI wants them to spy on their Russian pal, and the Teen Titans are totally cool with that. Oh. Okay. Back at the Titan Tower, Dick and Donna fill in the rest of the gang. Starfire is a little annoyed to learn that she has a hand-me-down codename, and Wally has apparently forgotten that Leonid saved his life last time they hung out, and starts spouting some xenophobic malarkey about not trusting him and that all Russians are no dang good. Damn it, Wally. Meanwhile, we see that the probably not going to be just fine after all, Malady Malanova, arrived in town a little while ago, and everyone she has come into contact with suddenly isn't feeling so great. Hmm. OG Starfire is just arriving at the airport, and he sees a customs agent that the unfortunately named ingenue, Miss Malanova, initially encountered on her arrival in New York, who falls suddenly, and potentially fatally ill. Probably not a coincidence. Beast Boy, who had turned into a fly and was taking part in the hallowed Teen Titans tradition of eavesdropping on his fellow teens, had witnessed the custom agent's collapse. When he reports back to his teammates, Wally assumes that Starfire I is responsible for the airport employee's collapse, probably by getting his commie cooties all over him. The team follows Kovar to a nearby hospital. Now it's Raven's turn to eavesdrop, and she overhears a doctor telling the Russian teen that the customs agent was suffering from acute and sudden radiation poisoning. Hmm, I'm starting to think that might not have been a seasonal affected disorder light that Malady walked under after all. Also, Seems a little weird that a Russian teenager in a black turtleneck and sunglasses shows up in a hospital and starts asking for confidential medical information about a stranger, and the doctor just can't wait to dish. I guess maybe the sunglasses threw him off and he thought it was the other Starfire's alter ego supermodel Corey Anders. That's probably it. Man, sunglasses are such a good disguise. A couple of days pass. The Titans are following Kovar, who is trying to track down Malanova. Malady is looking worse and worse almost as if she is stricken with some kind of malady. The Soviet superhero finally spots his contagion-carrying quarry. As if to prove his status as a bona fide superhero to any onlookers who may be unfamiliar with him, the OG Starfire Kool-Aid mans his way through a wall in pursuit of the unfortunate Miss Malanova. Surprisingly, this impromptu creation of a makeshift door does not convince the Titans that their communist counterpart is one of them, but rather galvanizes the teens into ending their stakeout and attacking their former comrade outright. Sheesh. Wait a double standard, guys. I thought wall destruction was basically the secret handshake of crime fighting. Leonid informs the Titans that he doesn't want to fight them, so naturally, they all fight him. And he kind of kicks all their asses. You know what? Hooray! As they are getting slapped around, the Titans, never afraid to negotiate from a position of weakness, demand that their frenemy tell them what he's up to. Lenny tells him that he'd like to, but insists that his government swore him to secrecy. So, Raven forms her weird astral bird cocoon over him and KOs the stalwart Soviet super team. When Starfire I comes to, he finds himself captive in the Titan Tower. His comrades turn captors inform him that they called the Russian embassy and got the foreign agent's clearance to inform the Teen Titans of his mission. Lenny says he's relieved to hear that he's allowed to share the details of his assignment. Really? Just like that? Without any confirmation of that order? Okay. Wally continues to be an antagonistic prick. Kovar shares that a grief-maddened Merrick Slavic irradiated an unwitting malady and sent her to America to plague the joint up. You don't say. It is too late to save malady, but her victims can still be cured. Kovar was sent undercover because his government didn't want to cause a panic, and was concerned that the U.S. might not believe that the attack was the work of a single rogue agent and not a concerted Soviet plot, while he continues to be an antagonistic prick. Finally getting sick of this shit, 
Lenny punches Wally in the face and skedaddles. He heads off to the place where Malady was supposed to have her final rendezvous with the fictional operative Slavic had told her to meet. When OG Starfire sees her, she looks about 150. She recognizes Lenny and asks why he was sent. He tells her about the shitty plot she was unwittingly involved in. He tells her that her condition is fatal, and that to end her suffering and keep her from killing anyone else, he has been sent to make sure that she dies. At this point, the Titans show up. And guess what? Wally continues to be an antagonistic prick. The gang once again attacks the conflicted Russian teen, insisting that they can't stand by and let that poor girl die a quick and painless death when she could die an agonizingly slow and excruciatingly painful death over the course of a week the way God intended. For some reason, Leonid Kovar doesn't see the wisdom in this argument. Starfire I fights Starfire II, the legend of Curly's Gold. Raven tries to heal Malady, but she is too far gone. The empath tries to ease her pain, but even that seems beyond her. Gee, Raven... Do you want to try showing her a vision of some horribly murdered people? Because that seems like that's kind of your go-to. Starfire number one is now mixing it up with the rest of the team and holding his own pretty well. Wally continues to be an antagonistic prick. Cyborg eventually knocks down the team's Siberian super foe, but only momentarily. He soon regains his feet and again insists that he be allowed to end Malady's suffering. Robin eventually offers the compromise that they take the suffering Soviet secretary to a hospital and dope her up super good then she can live out the remaining days stoned out of her gourd on pain meds. OG Starfire isn't super happy about this solution, but he no longer has the emotional strength to fight. He stays by Malady's side at the hospital for the entire week while she slowly dies from her illness. When she does pass on, Kid Flash finally offers his emotional support to a heartbroken Leonid. Just kidding. Wally continues to be an antagonistic prick. Leonid Kovar calmly informs the junior wizard of Wiz that he volunteered for this mission. Malady was his fiancée, and today would have been their wedding day. For the first time this whole issue, Wally is speechless. Having delivered the saddest, most effective mic drop in history, Leonid Kovar turns his back and slowly walks out of the hospital. Damn. I mean, we kind of saw that one coming from about page four on, but still. Damn. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Now to slowly turn in my chair and look over at Corey, where I know he will be sitting. What? <laughs> You're not Corey. I'm not. I'm not Corey, your brother, or Corey Anders. Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's quite all right. I am not in the least bit disappointed. Dear listeners, you are in for a real treat because in Corey's absence, I think he's off babysitting Aqua Baby right now. I don't have the heart to tell him that Aqua Baby died in the 70s. Should be a pretty cush babysitting job, actually, come to think of it. But in his stead, you are going to be treated to the vocal stylings of Elizabeth Alley, who you may know from her frequent guest spots on Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, or from the wonderful podcast that she co-hosts with Miles Stokes, Thor, The Lightning and the Storm. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. Wow, with such an intro like that, I really better uh, I better do good here. <laughs> yeah, you better. <laughs> no, it is a pleasure to be here. I uh, Miles, you know, recommended both this and Teen Titan Wasteland oh. highly, so I've been catching up over the past few months, and I'm kind of thrilled to be here. Oh, thank you. I'm definitely thrilled to have you. So, what did you think? I thought this was a it was a good comic. It had a yeah. bittersweet punch at the end. It was kind of a perfect Noon Teen Titans comic in that you didn't really need to know a lot about it to enjoy it because it's a flashback that even current readers of the comic probably wouldn't have read. So they explain it all really well. Yeah, they do do a good job of that. I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed it because I got to say, I really didn't. Oh. <laughs> um, it, it is a callback to what, what is, interestingly enough, Marv Wolfman's first Teen Titans comic, which was the original Teen Titans series number 18, which came out in 1968. And that was his first Teen Titans comic. And he wrote that one and then took an issue off and then was going to have written the next one. But he tried to introduce a black character and DC Comics was like, no, 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 don't do that. So Neil Adams rewrote the issue. So there is some history that. for it. Unfortunately, I had remembered kind of liking the original Teen Titans number 18. So in preparation for this episode, I went back and listened to the episode that we recorded about that. 
I didn't like that comic book either. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Marv Wolfman. That's so funny. I wonder if he had like that written down somewhere in his like secret wish list. He's like, once I get into new Teen Titans, no enough, I'm going to demand that we bring back original Starfire. Like that's his diva demand. It's kind of cool that he did it in the 18th issue too. Like it's really that kind of symmetry. Oh, yeah. But like I said, there were some things that I enjoyed about the issue. It really, I did feel, capture the kind of Cold War feel of the early 80s and that, you know, Rocky Four, Russia's bad, America's good mentality kind of comes through. It was so ham-fisted and it felt... <sighs> you ever watch any pro wrestling? A little bit back in the day. Okay. There's this thing that the heels do, the bad guys do, to make the crowds hate them. And when you get the crowd to hate you, that's called generating heat. But if you're not a very good heel, then what you do is generate cheap heat. And I feel like this issue has cheap, maybe not heat, but like dampness from tears. (laughs) It generates emotions that I don't feel it's earned. Like the way a a heel will generate cheap heat is just like, oh, I'll insult the local sports team of whatever city I'm in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's a shortcut. And I feel like this takes a lot of emotional shortcuts to make us feel things that it hasn't really earned in the writing. Well, the thing that surprised me the most is that, yes, the Teen Titans are working with the FBI, but they have worked with male Starfire before. Like, why don't they just go up and be like, hey, we have these questions. And in fact, Donna finally does say, we just have these questions for you while they're fighting. It's like, you could have done this earlier. Right. And there's a couple of things about that. Because first of all, in the first issue, they ended up, the issue ended with him and Wally saving each other's life. And then earning a real respect for each other and Wally apologizing for having been hot-headed and xenophobic and opposed to him based on the fact that he was Soviet. And here, of course, Wally just doubles down. Yeah, completely. So it's just a retread. There hasn't been any growth in the character. And I know most of the people who are reading this comic hadn't read the original one. Sure, sure. But also, it's just a continuation of the character assassination of Wally West, and I'm not down with it. Well, do you think, like... He kind of apologized under duress, and then he felt kind of bad about it. And, like, late at night when he couldn't go to sleep, he was like, damn it, I wimped out. And he's been, like, nursing this grudge. He's like, if I ever see that male Starfire ever again, like, there's no way I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to be as mean and condescending and as jerk-like as possible. And... He succeeded. Uh, appar- yeah, apparently that was his secret goal. And I guess in that, congratulations, Wally. You made good on your promise to yourself. It's definitely the kind of issue where if they just had a rational conversation up front, there wouldn't have been a story. I right. mean, it would have still been like a sad story, but there wouldn't have been any conflict. So it's definitely a conflict predicated on people just who know each other and who have worked together and trust each other, just not having a simple conversation at the very beginning of the story. Right. And I understand that they're, the fact that they are both emissaries of their respective governments maybe gets in the way of that. So mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. a possible caveat there. But here's the other thing about that. If you decide to send a teenager undercover on a secret mission, maybe give him a cover story. Yeah. Any cover story other than, no, I can't tell you why I'm here. He's a fucking spy. He's not allowed to lie. Exactly. Well, and I love that his undercover outfit is basically that of like a Hollywood movie star. He's wearing black and sunglasses, which of course is akin to Coriander Starfire. Like they're kind of akin that way. And he kind of has red hair too, which leads to- But his isn't made of fire. Sure. Yeah. Sorry. She's got you beat there. (laughs) But you know, because I haven't read a lot of the earlier New Teen Titans closely, I didn't realize that Starfire didn't name herself. So did Robin name her? And if, if that is the case, did Robin have a thing for male Starfire? And is that why he's so weird with liking this Starfire? That is a distinct possibility that had honestly not occurred to me. I like that theory. <laughs> she looks kind of like betrayed and like, what? Like, he tried to, <laughs> did he try to vertigo her into, you know, male Starfire? Where he's like, you know, it'd be really hot, baby. Is if you talk in this like Russian accent to me. And she's like, so much makes sense now. <laughs> 
part of the problem I had with this issue, too, <laughs> is that we don't get to have a Russian accent for OG Starfire. That's true. That's true. Like, Wolfman loves to spell out phonetic accents, but he just misses the boat here. We could have had some really fun Boris and Natasha shit going on and just missed the boat on it completely. Yeah, like, I could see why they would hand wave it away because, you know, male Starfire is a spy, so he'd have this impeccable English accent. But it's true, Malady totally should have had some sort of what I am doing. Yeah. I, here, here's what I think is honestly going on with that. I feel like we are supposed to sympathize with these characters and view them as important human beings. And when Wolfman phonetically spells out the accent, it others people. Sure. And I think he just didn't want to other them, which pisses me off even more. Like, really drives home what he was doing with other characters, I feel like. But also, mostly, I just wanted to have shitty Russian accents to replicate. Totally. I mean, I I recently had to do that with our podcast when the credit card soldiers, which were actually being led by, like, Titanium Man, Uh and Miles made me do the accent. And, uh, yeah, I basically just channeled... channeled Kate McKinnon for that. Nice. Nice. I actually took five years of Russian. Um, I took four years in high school and one year in college, and I remember almost none of it. That is crazy. I remember most of the alphabet, and that's pretty much it. Mm Mm-hmm. The one thing that I do remember, which I'm, I apologize if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when I was in high school, our high school textbooks for our Russian class were primary textbooks from the 60s from the Soviet Union Okay. that we just had copies of. So the word that I remember very clearly is kranovayetsya, which means female crane operator, which was what they thought was a very important word to teach first graders. That's hilarious. <laughs> so, good year kranovayetsya means... <laughs> Where is the female crane operator? <laughs> They're very progressive, okay? Yeah. My dad, when he was in the Air Force, he was actually sent to an academy to learn Russian, to speak it fluently, to go to Germany to spy on the Russians. And I just remember him telling me the story. There was some sort of Russian word that sounded like fuck it, but it would meant out the window, I think. Oh. And, and, and so they kept saying it over and over again. And their teacher, who was Russian, thought it was so awesome that they were, you know, taking to the language and they had their own joke that they had made in Russian and then like someone else keyed him in and he was like oh but yeah my dad doesn't remember any of it any either yeah yeah I I mean that's good to hear it validates me in in a strange way he did say that when he was in a grocery store this was probably in the last five years there was a Russian woman there who asked a question and he immediately responded and they were both like oh what just happened? You know, it's like my dad's uh, like Jason Bourne somehow. That's that's really <laughs> nice. Unless that question was, where is the female crane operator? I don't think I would have a similar experience with that. So yeah, like I said, th- this issue really did bring up like, I-, I felt like it did a good job summing up Cold War tensions. And I appreciated that on a certain level. It's easy to forget how recently like just Russia was the big bad bad guy and sentiments like wally west exhibits in this issue were i mean the way he expresses them yes still caricatures but not really that uncommon yeah i remember in grade school like if you were wearing red you know kids would be like oh are you a commie you know like it was very you know bruce springsteen born in the usa yay america buddha to communist i mean right and they were such an easy enemy to have in movies, you know, like, because it wasn't racist and, you know, all this stuff. Like, it was very easy to make the communists. If I remember 80s movies very well, then it turns out that not being racist was the huge (laughs) concern that they had at the time. But yeah, it's true. (laughs) It was an easy go-to. So one of the other issues that I had with this issue was the made-up names. Okay, the malady. Malady and having having the main bad guy in it be Marek Slavic. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Slavic just means Russian. Like, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, yes, other parts of Eastern Europe as well, but come on, man. Like, you can't just name your bad guy Mark Russia. And you can't name your, like, illness mule Malady. Like, she Malady, Malano. Malady is not a fucking name in yeah. any language. She should have known from a young age that she just had a really <laughs> bad end planned for her. Like, she should have tried to change her name or something. Yeah. And then also using the pun in the issue title oh, yeah. of A Pretty Girl is Like a Malady. 
you could just call the issue of Pretty Girl as like a malady if exactly. you wanted to have it be that way because she is a plague carrier. I guess radiation, but still. Sure, sure. It's very, very frustrating to it's me. It's disrespectful. Yeah. Well, and I have to wonder at this guy, Slavic, picking a girl who is the fiance of Russia's first superhero. Like, that's not a good way to go. Like, no. He made some very poor decisions. I understand he was, he was grief-stricken and really hated Americans. And probably the fact that he had the eyebrows of a doctor from Dune <laughs> played into the fact that he has generally an unhappy life going for him. Still, it seems like he was just waiting for an excuse for this to happen because it... I mean, maybe it's just the way the comic read, but it seemed like he was like, what? My son's dead. Oh, Melody, can you go in this room? Like, he had yeah. that evil seasonal affective, <laughs> you know, disorder thing right there. It definitely seemed like he had had things in place before the tragedy struck and then was just like, well, now it's out of my hands. One thing I definitely loved about this issue is that male Starfire's disguise, his civilian disguise, is a black turtleneck and sunglasses. Raven's civilian disguise is to remove her robe and have this, like, <laughs> elegant evening dress with her jewel. Like, gee, she's got a thigh-high slit up. <laughs> Nobody's going to notice this elegant, exotic woman walking through a hospital and then disappearing in a burst of smoke in front of a nurse. Like, why don't she just leave through a door? Yeah, the Titans in general have a very strange idea of inconspicuous, which is why it is somewhat concerning that the U.S. government decided to contact them to act as spies, even if you discount the fact that they are, in fact, teenagers. And that has to create some problems when, like, you're going through, like, budget reports and shit. Yeah, the Teen Titans have no chill. Like, no. They, they have no sense of what a real secret identity is like. <laughs> because they're so young, they've never had an experience of really being a normal person. So it's like when Gwyneth Paltrow tries to relate right. to the little people and she's just like, you know, when I'm in my house in France, you know, I just have all these problems. <laughs> and you're just like, mm-hmm, yep. But... Gwyneth Paltrow cannot shoot space fire out of her fists. So I <laughs> think people yet. are... Oh, gosh. <laughs> You're right. I haven't been reading Goop lately. Maybe there is an article on how to eat more space avocados and then you end up firing bolts out of your hands. But there is perhaps less of an impetus to humor her. And I really do get the impression that everyone in the DC universe is humoring the Teen Titans on their secret identity. And maybe that's just how secret identities work there. Is that, yeah, everybody knows Clark Kent's Superman. But he's Superman, so nobody says shit about it. Well, 1982, it's pre-internet. So, you know, the people who knew their secret identities was much smaller. They didn't really have to worry about wide-scale discovery, unless, of course, they get on TV or something like right. that. Right. It's probably the press was covering for them in a certain way, like the way they did for FDR having polio. Or old-school Hollywood movie stars. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, this, this actually makes some sense. I see some quid pro quo. We won't tell everybody that, you know, Robin is Dick Grayson if he gives us, you know, an interview for, like, teen superhero Tiger right. Beat. Or for People <laughs> Magazine, where apparently yeah. they had a big spread a couple of issues oh, ago. Oh, wow. You know, so, yeah. those legs. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, as soon as you see that there is a character named Malady Malanova, you're sure. like, okay, well, sucks to be her because yeah. she's going to die. Have you ever seen the movie You Got Served? No. Oh, you should. It's amazing. The dancing is amazing, and the acting is legitimately the worst I have ever seen. Who's in it? Um, well, Jack Hay has a small role oh, as oh, oh. Uh, one of the character's mothers. This is already enticing. Um, and Steve Harvey oh, plays man. a kind of mentor figure to some of them. Lil' Kim has a cameo. Okay, But okay. the principals in it are all really good dancers, so they're not... Like, known actors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like but, Jenna Duane. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But there's a character that shows up pretty early in the movie who's a 10 or 12-year-old boy who is mixed up with a bad crowd. And as soon as you meet him, he is introduced and everyone loves him, but his name is Lil Saint. Mm. And you're like, oh, shit, that guy's going to die. Yeah. And he does. Of course. And it's the same thing with Malady. Every move in this comic book was telegraphed so far apart. You knew what was happening at every step, and you just wanted to shake all of the Teen Titans and say, Stop! 
being assholes, and they just wouldn't. Absolutely. Even after they kind of knew what was going on. Even if Starfire had not been Melody's fiance, why... Why? Yeah. Why Why are you insisting that she die slowly of a painful disease? If this has happened in Oregon, you know, in the future, she would have been able to die with dignity. But you're right. Like, even Raven realizes at one point, like, she can't help her. She can't even ease her pain. So they're just. But even after she realizes that, and she was raised in Azeroth, she was raised outside of of our weird culture with, with that. And she's still just like. Oh, there's no hope for her, but I can't let you kill her, yep. you heartless fiend. Yep. Bullshit, yeah. man. Yeah, that's what happens when the Teen Titans, you know, team up with the FBI. It's like yeah. bad influence. Although, I will say, they got to work with King Faraday, who I fucking love. Have you ever met King Faraday? No, before? no, I am not nearly as conversant on DC as I am in Marvel, and I actually thought that maybe he was like a king who was also an FBI agent. I was like, that's a pretty good cover. No, his, his last name is Faraday, and his dad named him King as a joke on King for a Day. Oh my god, King for a Day! Oh! And he first showed up in 1950 as a soldier. He's kind of the DC's equivalent of Nick Fury. I was gonna say, yeah, 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 yeah. Sort of. Like... Old school Sergeant Fury, their analog is really clearly Sergeant Rock. Sure, sure. But the fact that it's just like Soldier who becomes a spy and then is in a ton of spy comics, it's totally King Faraday. And I love this guy. I first really encountered him in the awesome Darwin Cook's New Frontier series. Mm, He's kind of a major character in that. Mm. He's the Flash's foil. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And so I was really stoked to see him show up. And he was actually really fun in this issue. I wish he had been in more than the one page. Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, he's being kind of sexist to Donna. Like, he's like, I don't want your prom date. Like, hello, Donna could kick Robin's and your ass with one arm behind her back. But that is kind of his shtick, I understand. That is absolutely fair. I think part of the reason that I was charmed by him in this issue, despite that, Mm -hmm. is, well, first of all, they keep really leaning on the word charm when they're describing him. (laughs) I mean, ironically, but still. And the other reason is I recently saw The Big Sleep, and his dialogue in this reminds me so much of Humphrey Bogart's eye. Okay, okay. Which, if you guys haven't seen The Big Sleep recently, Mm -hmm. you should check it out. I hadn't seen it since I was a kid, and I hadn't realized... I knew it was based on a Raymond Chandler book, but I didn't realize the script is actually William Faulkner. And it's really fun, and there's a scene in which Humphrey Bogart is trying to convince a woman to go talk to this other dude that she needs to talk to. And she says, is he as cute as you are? And he goes, nobody is. (laughs) I love that. And part of the reason that I love that is... Humphrey Bogart is not cute. And And it's like he knows it. Like, he knows that that is, like, his joke, I feel like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was also kind of just a meta joke on America at the time. Sure. I think it was in Why I Hate Saturn by Kyle Baker, but there's the line that there was a period in time where America's number one sex symbol was an ugly man named Humphrey. Hey, it's the ugly hot thing. It's like Steven (laughs) Tyler. It's like... Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Who's the guy with the eyes from uh, from The Usual Suspects? Oh, Benicio Del Toro. Yeah, Benicio Del Toro. Right. The ugly hot thing. You know, it keeps keeps on keeping on. Now I really want to see uh, (laughs) Steve Buscemi having scarves wrapped around a microphone. (laughs) (laughs) He can do it. I bet he can dance. I bet he can, too. Sure. I bet he owns multiple pairs of leather pants. Hmm. I'd mentioned earlier that the character assassination of Wally West continues. And I understand that Marv Wolfman wants to create him as a different kind of character to set him up as a counterpoint to the rest of the Titans. But it's not in keeping with his established character already. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He has this line of dialogue that really bothered me, where he's like, I don't give you guys crap about being liberals. Mm -hmm. Why are you giving me crap about being a conservative Midwestern kid? Even if Wally is a conservative Midwestern person, and that's who you want to establish his character as, you don't have to set him up as that kind of a straw man. Like, have him be a thoughtful conservative. If you want to create that character, he's just being an asshole in this. And there's this false equivalency that he's setting up of, well, if I'm tolerant of your tolerance, why can't you be tolerant of my intolerance? Sure, sure, Which is something that we hear a lot these days, and it's bullshit then and it's bullshit now 
I'd have to go back and see if this goes forward, but it feels like they just really built that up for the end panel. You know, the, the last yeah. page where he has that shocked look where he realizes how wrong he's been. Like, they specifically created that for that moment. But it's just so cheap. Well, because yeah. Because it's the same ending as the last Teen Titans number 18. Sure, 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 um, sure. It, and it's, it's also like Wally West. He does have this history where he's a fun-loving teen who went undercover as a hippie named Feet. Like, <laughs> this isn't Feet. I know Feet. Feet's a good guy. Like, he went on tour uh, with, uh, shit, can't remember his name, but the, the rock and roll kid. He, he toured Europe uh, when he fought the Mad Mod. He's this character who is fun-loving, who enjoys being a super speedster. And if you want to rewrite him to be this different character, you have to set it up in some way. And that really hasn't been done. And what was funny for me reading this is, you know, I'm not super up on the DC universe. I'm more of a Marvel girl. But the one thing I know is how angry people were that Wally disappeared. And then he was kind of a non-entity for so long. And I'm reading this and being like, why don't people like Wally so much? Like, he seems to be a giant dick. Yeah, I do not like Wolfman's Wally West, and and I didn't, I didn't in the original run, which Wolfman only did a couple issues on, but I I don't like it here either. But here we don't even have the the like the you know fan service of well you know that it was nineteen sixty eight different writer maybe right. you don't remember it's right. the same it's the writer same guy and he did this yeah. on purpose yeah yeah and boo I say fooey can we talk about the cover. Sure. So in this cover, we've got this very seductive, prone starfire with this other starfire looming over her, carrying a giant phallus, kind of aiming it toward Donna's lasso, which this was funny because my husband actually pointed this out. I was like, I didn't even notice. I didn't notice that either. Yeah. He's like, how did you not notice? (laughs) How did you not notice this? And I was like, oh, Wow. Like, yeah, there okay. is some really, <laughs> really blatant symbolism going on there that I didn't catch either. But see, here's tiny little Wally. He's clearly intimidated. You know, maybe this is another explanation for his hot-headedness. He feels okay. very intimidated by Starfire's manliness. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> They're both redheads. They both have costumes that have, go over their <laughs> eyes and their hair comes out. Like, Starfire is the one who really should be upset because here's a guy suddenly who has her name, her pre-owned sure. name. But look, he's kind of stealing Wally's shtick. And look, even their gloves are kind of the same. They right. both have a blatant, um, you know, very obvious symbol, <laughs> a bolt of lightning and a star on their chests. Maybe that's what it is. I think that might be part of it. It also, the way he is holding <laughs> that column aloft really reminds me of maybe my favorite Wally West panel ever, which is from, and I can't believe that I remember this shit, (laughs) but issue 17 of the original Teen Titans series, where he holds a giant scepter over his head and says, I'm the Queen of May. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Marv Wolfman remembers that also. I think he might. And then he has, we see original Starfire holding this Doric column over his head mm-hmm. in a very similar way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really making mm-hmm. Wally uh, feel like a little man. I know. That makes a lot of sense. Well. So Beast Boy doesn't do a ton in this issue, but he does a couple of things and he does them pretty bad. One of the things that he does is try to sexually harass his coworker Starfire, which she is too depressed about her boyfriend dying a couple of issues ago to deal with his sexual harassment. Man, when you're too when you're too depressed to be sexually harassed by a coworker, you're just too depressed. So she's got some real problems. Well, what struck me was right after that, Donna's like, "Gee, it's been a month since Starfire's boyfriend I died. I just wish there was something I could do because she seems to be really down." I'm like, "Is Donna a robot? Like, does she not? I mean, Terry I think- is no prize. Maybe she secretly wishes Terry would die, but this seems so like she just doesn't understand humans. And that's not the first time that she's displayed things like that like before when beast boy is talking about how mad he is at the woman who killed his mother her response was like yeah look we're all upset that he killed your mother what's your problem and yeah there is that again we're like gosh your fiance died a month ago get over it (laughs) 
I didn't really get that as sexual harassment. I saw it as Beast Boy being like, hey, let's go away and have fun together. And of course, me, I'm like, oh, they're going to go like to a carnival or something. Yeah. And then she's like, I can't take talk like that. And I was like, at first I was like, what? And I'm like, oh, yeah, her fiance just died. She can't imagine having fun. But yeah, now I'm, I'm like, pretty sure oh. it just. You're yeah. right. It could be an innocuous no. statement, but it's Beast Boy, so I don't think it is. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I don't have the the day to day involvement <laughs> with the new Teen Titans to really pick that up. But what you say makes sense. The the other thing that Beast Boy does that just struck me as kind of dumb is when he's searching high and low for original Starfire. He first flies up in the air, which I'm like, oh, okay, makes sense. You get a bird's eye view. Then he turns into a dolphin and goes underwater. It's like, what are the odds that he's underwater? <laughs> like, he's looking around. like, I can't find him anywhere. He's not at the bottom of the Hudson Bay. So, I don't know. Why would you even bother looking there? That seemed like a real show-off thing to me. Like, he's like, look, I can do anything. Because he says at one point that he feels kind of insecure, that he hasn't been doing much. Right. So, I'm like, oh, he's like... I'm up in the air. I'm in the water. I could be anywhere. Just not really where you need me doing anything that you need me to do. Right. <laughs> but the reason he couldn't find... I keep wanting to call Starfire Geoforce because he looks... He's wearing Geoforce's costume, sure, essentially. Sure, sure, But the reason he can't find Starfire is because Starfire is in the cloisters. Yeah. Had you been familiar with the cloisters before? I was not, no. I'm still not. It seems like he's describing a real thing. Yeah, that's what it seemed like to me. In 1938, apparently, there is a recreation of a medieval living situation or something in New York. Yeah, like a nun's cloister. That sounds really cool. Sure. And that's where she's supposed to have his rendezvous. And these teens just rip the shit out of that place. Well, that's the thing. They, first of all, they rip the big column slash phallus. You know, they're bursting through, you know, walls and things like that. Yeah. And all the time being like, we don't want to fight you. Smash. Yeah. We they, don't want to do this. Crash. This is why you don't have teenagers act as government agents. <laughs> like, yeah. or you bury that shit deep because that's going to come up in some Senate meetings and people are going to lose jobs. Well, and why did they, they did it because he's a teen and, and they're teens? Did I they do guess. it because they knew each other? If they did it because they knew each other, why didn't they say, hey, go talk to him and figure out what's going to happen? Right, right. Like, it's the dumbest thing ever. Also, when they do capture him and get permission from his embassy to talk to him they just tell him we talked to your embassy they said you can tell us everything and he's like oh thank god because i really wanted to (laughs) what the fuck dude don't you want to talk to the embassy and make sure both groups are so bad at spycraft. It's yep. really frustrating. Yep, yep, yep. Well, that's probably why they shouldn't have sent this poor girl's own fiance. This is why, you know, Slavic shouldn't have chosen the girlfriend of Russia's first superhero. And right. why Russia shouldn't have sent Russia's first superhero, her fiance, there to kill her. I think basically he was going anyway. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So they were like, oh, okay, we'll let you go along with this shit. Yep, yep, yep. But here's your cover story. You don't have a cover story. <laughs> Just don't tell anybody anything. And it really seems to work for him for the most part, which is oh, sure. amazing. If it weren't for those dastardly new Teen Titans, he yeah. would have gone away with it. Oh, you meddling <laughs> Titans. So the doctor and the nurse, they're like, oh, this malady is infected with an infectious disease and she wants to leave. We should probably keep her. And they just let her go. Like they know what's happening and that everyone she touches is going to be infected. And sure, they can be cured, but they may not know they're infected. And she cannot move that fast at that point. Yeah. She looks like she is like 300. Yeah. They could have called security. They're just like, oh, 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 what can we do? They could have grabbed the hem of her dress with one hand. She she is weak at that point. She cannot... Move quickly. They could have taken off her turban. She'd have been like, ah, my hat. Well, there's a reason why this doctor was unable to go play golf with all the other doctors. <laughs> I <Wednesday>. see. Yes. <laughs> Wednesday, they're all going to be playing golf. I was like, is that a thing? It, it, there is this weird aside moment. They say they're going to check the hospitals and Cyborg's just like, oh, on a Wednesday? No way. All the doctors are going to be out playing golf. Does is he know that, that because, Wednesday thing? Well, does he know that because of his dad being a crazy scientist and like maybe he knows a lot of doctors and maybe, maybe they have a group or I yeah, it seemed very random to me. It's good to know though. Yeah, sure. Alright, you ready for yeah, the sure. minutia? Alright. Rick, you wanna sing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Cory eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. 
Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like starting with? Let's start with the SFX. Okay, what was your favorite sound effect in this issue? My favorite sound effect was the swack when male Starfire punched Wally right in the face. It was so satisfying that even though it was only a four-letter sound effect, it, it made me tingle all over. Very satisfying and probably my favorite thing that happened in the issue. But my favorite sound effect, I liked Splam pretty good, which showed up on uh, page 19, just fun phonetically. Mm -hmm. But I think my absolute favorite on page 23, when Cyborg zaps OG Starfire with his finger laser Mm -hmm. and it goes zap. Mm-hmm. That was my runner-up. That was Pretty my runner-up. good. I, mm-hmm. I really, I like a good Zach. It reminded me of the old Lego commercials. <laughs> what did you think was the most blatant show-and-tell moment in this? What was the incident in which the captioning or dialogue made the panel illustration <laughs> redundant? All right. It was male Starfire versus female Starfire when she's trying to shoot him and she's like, I'm going to shoot you. And he's like, I'm going to dodge it. And she's like, no one's fast enough to go, you know, to dodge my Starfire. And he's like, well, I am. I'm like, thank you. That one panel <laughs> where she's shooting you and he's dodging it wouldn't have fully informed me about what is happening right now. Yeah, I noticed that one as well. I think I slightly preferred page 19. Kid Flash is saying, Holy Hannah, your punch blasted him clear through that wall. (laughs) As we see him being blasted clear through a wall. And then the captioning under it says, Leonid Kovar crashes through the great stone wall of the chapel. That is a good, that's very... This is some R. Kelly trapped in the closet level of redundancy. (laughs) It's more than that, because if it had been without the captioning, it would be that level. This is the this is the DVD extra commentary on Trapped in the Closet, where R. Kelly sings what is happening, we see what is happening, and then R. Kelly, who is sitting in a movie chair in the front row, smoking a cigar and watching things happen, says, oh yeah, this is the part where she punches him through the wall. <laughs> This thing that's happening right now, this is the thing that's happening. Yeah. That you're watching right now. Which I don't want to promote R. Kelly, but the DVD commentary on Trapped in the Closet is amazing. There's DVD commentary? There's a DVD? It it is exactly what I just described. It is R. Kelly sitting there saying, oh, this is the part where this happens. Oh, my God. As he is singing what happens, as you see what is happening. Oh, my God. It is this crazy meta thing and it is amazing it's like a tesseract of in, uh, exposition <laughs> yeah it, it's it's phenomenal i suggest that you maybe burn a copy because i don't think people should be giving r kelly money but it is definitely worth watching that is hilarious so sartorially speak yes what instances of fashion would you like to comment on in this issue i would like to comment on raven's civilian getup which i don't know if i really described it you know i feel like we don't see raven a lot without her cowl on Mm -hmm. you know covering her face so of course to be inconspicuous in a hospital she takes off her 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 cape and so she's walking down she's got a floor-length turtleneck sleeveless blue evening gown slid up very high on the on the hip and like armpit length long sleeves her glowing earrings and and her teardrop blood drop on her on her forehead and it's just so incongruous like she would have been far less conspicuous <laughs> In her cowl, but she has so much style. Like, no, she, she, awesome. she is essentially just strolling through this hospital like Vanna White with a widow's peak and a bindi. Yeah, yeah. It's like a walk of shame, except she's like <laughs> on a mission to investigate something where she's trying supposedly to be in, inconspicuous before she disappears in a big plume of brimstone in front of a poor nurse. <laughs> <laughs> Which yeah, I, if you're gonna do that anyway, why bother with the inconspicuous to begin with? Yeah, yeah, and again, it's just another instance of New Teen Titans do not understand civilian identities or being inconspicuous. At the very least, they could have given her some sunglasses. No kidding. <laughs> okay, so I already talked a little bit. I do really like original Starfire's outfit, and I think it speaks to his character well. It somehow manages to be both a clearly superhero costume but kind of like 
it has a utilitarian aspect to it that I think fits in with depictions of Soviet culture mm-hmm, that kind of mm-hmm. makes sense. It's got the big red star on it because red star because he's Soviet, but also just the, the, the fact that it's green on green. It seems like basically Russia just ordered for male, male costume hero from like a Halloween catalog. Sure, and they're like, sure. yes, we get the most basic one possible. It also... Just with the goggles and the face mask, like I said, it really reminds me of Geoforce. It <laughs> looks like him. But I like it overall. The other thing that I wanted to comment on was once Malady starts getting sick, she goes full Gloria Swanson. Sure. Yeah. I mean, she's already wearing a turban, which... I, she, I don't think she was wearing the turban before she started getting uh, sick. Oh, okay. I think once she okay. started getting sick, she's just like, no, uh, now that I look like an old person, <laughs> I am going full old person. Crazy 1940s old person. It totally reminded me of Murder, She Wrote, season two, episode one, when Jessica Fletcher goes undercover <laughs> as like a rich, like socialite and oh. is suddenly wearing a pink turban and jewels and things like that. Nice. But... <laughs> I see, I gotta rewatch my some Murder, She Wrote. I don't remember her going undercover. I feel like everybody always knew she was Jessica Fletcher. Uh, that's why it sticks in my memory so much. That's also where she meets super spy Michael Hegarty, you know, Ooh. aka her, I think he was her co-star for um Sweeney Todd oh good to know <laughs> I'm mostly familiar with a bed knobs and broomsticks era sure Jessica Fletcher sure 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 <laughs> it's all the same character right yeah it's yeah the Angela Lansbury verse exactly she's delightful wherever she goes agreed yeah so I appreciated Malady's sartorial splendor indeed <laughs> well well stated so Let's take this to the bow zone. What was your favorite instance of one character calling another character, either metaphorically or literally, a bozo? I liked it when Cyborg called male Starfire a cold fish. Ooh. I was very much like, oh, burn. Yeah. And then someone, and I didn't write it down, so I don't remember who, called him green sleeves. I'm like, maybe that would make more sense if he were a German supervillain, you know? Sure. But I was very much like... Oh, boy. Green well, sleeves. Well, and here's the other thing. He doesn't have any sleeves. That's true. He's got green yeah. gloves, same as Robin. Yeah. 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 Yep, yep. I thought they, those were both highly amusing. So my favorite insults were, I, I think we talked about it a little bit, when Donna and Robin meet King Faraday. Mm. There's this weird thing where they use the word charm like three times in a row. It's about time you showed up. I'm down to my last cigarette. And I see you're still as warm and charming as ever. Wonder Girl, this is King Faraday of the FBI. He makes Dirty Harry look like Prince Charming. Wonder Girl, listen, kid, I wanted you, not your prom date. Your friend has all the charm of a terminal disease. And that's the one that I'm going. Your friend has all the charm of of a terminal disease. They're really (laughs) leaning on the word charm pretty hard there, though. It's like charm's the new, like, asshole. (laughs) Yeah. But the other... Well, I guess there's two. One of them isn't technically a diss, but it has the same effect as one. One of them is when Wally, when he first encounters old school Starfire, says, Don't tell me you've forgotten your old fighting partners already, or is your memory as poor as your country's honor? (laughs) (laughs) It's just such a cheesy line. It really did actually crack me up. I mean, go after their, like, civil rights violations and things like, but their honor, that seems so, like, anachronistic. Yeah, absolutely. The other one, which, like I said, it's not technically a diss, but it certainly has the effect of a slam. <laughs> but when Starfire says, no, I volunteered because I loved her. Mally and I were engaged. And today, today was the day we were going to be married. And it just totally shuts down Wally. And he looks absolutely stricken. And like I said, it's not technically a diss, but it has the effect of a diss. It's like, yeah, fuck you, Wally. Mm-hmm. Wally's going to be feeling that for a while. I, I hope so. I sure, hope sure. So. I hope it will lead to some actual growth of a, as a character for him, but we'll see. <laughs> so, I suspect we may be on the same or at least a similar page with this, but in this issue, 
As every issue of a Teen Titans comic, there is a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, who was the worst Teen Titan? Who was your Speedy? It had to be Flash. I mean, it literally had to be Flash because the writers were just, or the writer was leaning on that so hard. So hard. Yeah, it, it absolutely is Kid Flash. I think we've pretty much been over it to the point that it would be a little bit redundant to go over it anymore. But God, he's such a dick in this issue and nothing redeemable about him. But really, all of the Teen Titans did a really bad job and were dicks and they didn't listen and they didn't try to talk things out. And I'm mad at them. Yeah, that was just seemed uncalled for. Like, I honestly thought that the speedy of the issue had to be Slavic. I mean, he irradiated a poor Russian girl who's about to be married and killed her. But no, Flash was actually worse than that. Like, yeah. he was worse. Yeah. He was the worst character yeah. in this book. Yep. Because at least Slavic was mad with grief. Yes, you know? yes. Wally's just like, eh, I'm just kind of a dick. I'm xenophobic. I don't like the stupid Ruskies. Mm-hmm. So, bah. Boo. Boo, indeed. Conversely, every issue of Teen Titans comic has a best Teen Titan, an Aqualad. In this issue, who is your Aqualad? Oh, shoot. Best Teen Titan? I decided to fudge it a little bit, as I suspect it sounds yes. like you might have as well. <laughs> I went with original Starfire. He is a teen. He is a superhero. That's exactly what I went with. Because, yeah, I mean, He yeah. doesn't do anything bad. He, yeah. And he puts up with so much shit. And he has a good attitude throughout it. He really He's does. not mad at the Teen Titans mm-hmm. at any point. He's just heartsick at them for thwarting him. Exactly. He's a good guy. He's respectful. Mm-hmm. He's a good guest in their home. You know, even though they have him tied up, like, he's perfectly civil, and he has all this secret heartbreak that he doesn't unleash into the perfect moment to crush Wally. Yeah. Great, great job, OG Starfire. You didn't deserve this shit. <laughs> so, what was your favorite panel? So, my favorite panel was actually page five, panel two, which was the flashback to the old school Teen Titans. Ah. Mainly just because I love to see Donna's old costume and remind myself that the whole origin story of Wonder Girl is that the writers didn't understand that Wonder <laughs> Girl was actually a younger version of Wonder Woman. Like, that just delights me to no end. I agree. That That is really charming. And that's what I love about those old 60s issues is there was no research into continuity at all, especially if it was Bob Haney. What's interesting about when Donna first gets her new costume, it was in a backup Marv Wolfman story that she first gets her new costume, which was, I think, in issue 23. So he's done some good things for the Titans, too. Totally. Well, I mean, he turns Robin into Nightwing and gets him out of his little Speedos, right? He does what? I haven't gotten that far. Oops. Spoiler alert. Oh, jeez. Well, it was a nice podcast we had while it lasted. (laughs) Sorry. That's quite all right. Do you have any backup favorite panels or was that just that that was it? That was it. I like that. It's nice to see Aqualad again. I I always miss him. And I do love the fact that whenever he is drawn in the eighties, he is given a Tom Jones style perm. And (laughs) it's a good look for him. Sure. Just as it's a good look for Tom Jones. Yeah. My favorite panel was on page thirteen. And I call it the Octotoss. And it is when Beast Boy has changed himself into an octopus and clamped onto original Starfire. And then Starfire picks the giant octopus up and throws it at Robin. And it's great. And you see Beast Boy just saying, oops. I don't know exactly what he's saying oops about unless he's just saying, oops, I'm continuing to not change out of octopus form. Exactly. It's like... You could, instead of say, oops, stop doing that. Turn to a fly again. But I love the way Perez draws octopuses, and I just love octopuses, so happy to see it whenever they show up. Sure, sure. Well done. That was my favorite panel. Uh, My probably backup favorite panel was on page 25, where it is uh, Wally West just looking stricken, and also has a bunch of tiny uh, band-aids all over his face, because I guess that's what happens when a Soviet super teen punches you. Or possibly, Wally is really bad at shaving. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of glad because a week has passed and he's still kind of beat up. So that means that... <laughs> I that, wonder yeah. if he's just periodically fighting Starfire throughout that time. 
as Starfire's like, I just want to stay here with my dying fiance and just hold her hand. And Wally just keeps coming in and just being like, hey, you're still a Soviet? Your your country has no honor. And he's just like, whap, and just casually backhands him. And it's like, I'm, I'm sorry, Malady, you have a terrible name and now you're dying. Um, <laughs> Male Starfire shows up with, you know, flowers and a People magazine <laughs> and Kid Flash is like, oh, you like our decadent, you know, gossip magazines? I'm going to give you a paper cut. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and then Starfire is just like, oh, okay. Backheads of it. This is like, oh, look, you're actually on page 16 of this. There's a full page spread on your Titans. Yeah, so I really did like that pit a lot. And really, Wally does look stricken, obviously. Sure. He's pretty embarrassed at what a dick he's been at that point, fucking finally. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of satisfying. And like I said, I'm not saying this was ineffective. I did tear up a little bit when I was reading it. Totally. Honestly. There's a gut punch right at the end. It's so cheap. I don't feel like it earned the emotions that it generated in me. Cheap yet effective. It's like the Mad Dog 2020 of comics. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Well, I think that ties up the minutia, but this comic was first published in April of 1982. Now, Aqualad does appear in a panel on this, technically, but it's a flashback, so I don't think that counts. In April of 1982... What was Aqualad probably up to? So I want you to know that I did my research on this and I looked up significant uh, newsworthy events of 1982. And Mm -hmm. on this list, among many, you know, political upheavals and bombings and things, is the fact that in 1982 on Sunset Boulevard, Rod Stewart was carjacked and his $50,000 Porsche was stolen from him. So I choose to believe that this was due to an international ring of car thieves that are then taking Rod Stewart's Porsche, you know, on a ship somewhere to uh. Europe or, or wherever. And Aqualad is is trying to get Rod Stewart's car back. He's like swimming alongside. He's plotting to, to get it back. Do you think that perhaps Ding Dong Daddy Dowd, international car thief ring spokesperson <laughs> was potentially involved. I think in he this. must. He I, must. I think you're probably yeah. right. Wow. Yeah. So Aqualad was trying to track down that yeah. that ship. Yep. And get some, maybe some backstage passes for him and whatever, you know, lady he might be seeing. Oh, you know, nice. Future Rod Stewart nice. concert. Do you think maybe he tried to convince Rod Stewart that he was in fact Tom Jones? <laughs> Let me come on stage with you. Really, I'm a really good singer. I bet he is. Probably. I bet he's a beautiful singer. Grumbling guitar fish. I, I think he <laughs> he sings like an angel fish, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good, uh, good guess as to what Aqualad was probably up to. It's kind of funny. This is the first of the What's Aqualad probably up to that in April of 1982, I actually remember what I was up to. I was five years old. I had my tonsils removed and was having my first experience with mind-altering drugs. <laughs> How is th- Oh, because of the tonsils being because removed. Because of the tonsils okay, being okay. removed. But the way that they did it was it was a gas that was administered to me. And they put this gas mask over my face. And it's the special thing that they had for kids. I had to confirm this with my mom because I remembered it. And it was one of those things that I was just like, that can't be right. <laughs> it was a gas mask that had like a viewfinder thing attached to it that had images of Cookie Monster in it. Oh my gosh. So... As they're giving you this hallucinogenic gas to to anesthetize you, you are looking at 3D images of Cookie Monster to calm you down. Now, I did like Cookie Monster, but (laughs) he's also a monster and it's right in his name. It was just such a weird like, well, if he's going to be tripping anyway, you may as well have maybe Cookie Monster can be his trip guide and talk him through this shit. It seems like if this was something administered by a drug dealer, like you'd have to pay extra for the Cookie (laughs) Monster like effect. I I don't know that my parents didn't pay extra. They loved (laughs) them very much. But I don't think that's probably what Aqualad was up to. Although maybe. Let's say, okay, Aqualad at the same time as me also started suffering from a tonsillitis. (gasps) Which for an Atlantean is much more serious. And this was diagnosed by Aquaman, who was looking at his undersea WebMD that we found out that he had in some of the later issues of the original Teen Titans series. Of course. And so he freaks out and he sends Aqualad to the same doctor that I went to. Now, Aqualad was administered this drug, but it had a different effect on his Atlantean physiology than it did on mine. I mean, he's got sea-strengthened limbs, but he doesn't have sea-strengthened drug tolerance. Sure. No. So... 
he freaks out a little bit. And much like he did recently when he had a little bit too much to drink accidentally and started playing TJ Hooker on a sub, he, he thinks that his old enemy, Captain Tiger, from issue 10 of the original Teen Titans series, is up to his old smuggling and causing teens to have intercollegiate riots shenanigans. So he goes down south to Mexico for spring break to try to foil Captain Tiger on his pirate submarine. <laughs> Captain Tiger's not there, but he causes a big international incident in, because when he's trying to go down to, to where the collegiate teens are having their riots, he gets a little bit lost. He ends up at the Panama Canal, and uh, when he finally does snap out of it, he's just like, Panama Canal? Is the U.S. still in charge of this shit? Give it back! And they listened and decided to give it back to Panama. And this was when the Panama Canal reverted to Panamanian control. As he was doing this, he ran into one of the people that was partying at spring break, a young man named David Lee Roth. (gasps) And was the inspiration for the hit song, Panama. That's pretty epic. (laughs) I like that. I want to believe that that is canon. That's my own personal headcanon. Excellent. (laughs) I can't tell if that would be really good advertising or really bad advertising for Aqualad's dentist. Who? (laughs) Well, if his dentist is capable of performing a tonsillectomy, I would say it's a very good advertising for that dentist. I believe that that is actually probably the case. I believe that the DC universe is probably a lot like the Marvel universe. Sure. Where if you're a doctor of something, you're a doctor of everything. Totally. Same with soap operas. So, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's uh, ear, nose, throat, and everything else. Yep. Dentist. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to the dentist, uh, Peter Corbeau. Yeah. Ex- yes. Perfect. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. Thank this was you. a ton of fun. I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come over. If people would like to hear more of your golden tones on the podcast, where can they do that? Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you can find us at thelightningandthestorm.com. You can find me personally at Elizabeth with an S, F, so Elizabeth F on Twitter. And I also have this weird uh, WordPress blog called Lizbert where I I blog about like weird fashion and geeky things and murder she wrote. So Excellent. Yeah, lizbert.wordpress.com if you feel really adventurous. Excellent. Well, I suggest that all of our listeners try to find that spirit of adventure within your heart and do just that. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with me, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. You can, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, your podcatcher of choice, and I'm on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore and probably other parts of the internet as well. If you'd like to give us some money, well, shucks, I'd like that. And you can do that at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us, Elizabeth. Enjoy, enjoy. And they know it.